My name is Drew Osmond, based out of Toronto. Written for a ton of publications, but wanted to make my own called Studio One, where I interview, you know, acts across the world, you know, acts uh, across Canada. Most importantly, you know, the point of the platform really is to highlight Toronto artists, give them a platform, because we don't have too many media platforms in our own city. Even though Drake and The Weeknd, we have these big artists, we don't really have too yeah, much. Man. We don't have too many platforms to actually promote our artists, so I wanted to build this for them. So, you know, to, to get you on is pretty amazing. Uh, I know I found you on KTT, I'm a lurker, so <laughs> glad to. feel like that, man. For sure. That's fine. Yeah, man, before we really begin, just, you know, briefly introduce yourself and then we'll get started. Ooh, um, so I'm Haji Gaviota. I'm a musician from New York, Queens, New York. Um, I I guess like genre wise, I'd say I touch on a bunch of different things from um, alternative to R&B to hip hop to just kind of like some kind of like modern genre blend of like shit. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like I'm on all streaming platforms. I have an album called Purgatory that. It's going to come out in December, um, so it depends on when this comes out, but it might either be out or like about to be out by the yeah. time this comes out, so uh, just look for it. It's going to be cool. It's a visual album. It's got seven music videos, seven songs. Um, yeah, man. I really appreciate you having me, too. So. No, man. No worries. Uh, I know I read that you're based out in Queens. Is that where you grew up, too? Yeah. Born, born and raised. Um, I've lived here my entire life. Uh for the most part, I went to college in Philadelphia, and I studied abroad for a semester in Havana, Cuba. And besides that, I've pretty much just been in New York. <laughs> cool, man. I've always wanted to come to Toronto. That's dope. No, I like. I, I really love, fuck with. I love. I really you. fuck with a lot of Toronto artists too. Um, just like from, I mean, Drake and Weekend, but even like I've been really big on uh, Mustafa. Yeah, Mustafa the poet. Super fire! I know he's yeah. I know yeah. he's a Toronto dude. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah great, I, great scene. I really want to get up there for. Like Ovi Fest or something one year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love I love New York. One of my favorite places. But uh, I've heard they're really similar, kind of. Yeah, they really are. Uh, yeah. Same thing with kind of London too. There's like same mm-hmm. energy. Yeah, yeah, I love London too, so I feel like I'm fucking Toronto. Heavy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, what was it like? You know, growing up in Queens and like what were the artists you know that you grew up listening to? Kind of. Yeah. Um, Queens is cool. Queens is. Uh, it's an interesting place. It's big. Um, the thing with New York compared to like the rest of the U.S. is like New York as a city is so big that if all the five boroughs were their own cities, they would be like the first, the third, the fourth, and the fifth biggest city in America. Yeah. So um, Queens is bigger than like Philadelphia, just off rip. Um, so it's a really cool place. It's a really diverse place, which is like a point kind of gets like talked about so much that it's like almost a meme at this point, but. Yeah, um, I grew up around people who were from like everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of just thought the whole world was like that. So I went to college, and I was yeah. like, "Oh shit!" Like it's, it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so most of my friends growing up were either um, you know immigrants or first generation Americans. Uh, my dad was born in Greece. Um, my mom's family's been in America for a while. They're Irish, but um, so I was like kind of like a one point fifth generation kid because um, my dad grew up here. Um, yeah. And so I was just always surrounded by people um, in different places, uh, speaking different languages, eating different foods, listening to different music. Um, and then obviously New York being such a big, big hip hop city, I grew up, uh, you know, big listening to a lot of New York 
artists, a lot of New York rappers, um, and then being a kid from the internet, I listen to a lot of like down dirty south ass rap because I just yeah. was, like on the iTunes page when I clicking shit. Um, so I was just always like exposed to different things. Um, that's the one thing I love about New York. It's like I've lived here my whole life, and I feel like I haven't even been, I haven't even really scratched the surface. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really unique place. It's a really cool place to be an artist now, which I definitely like lucked out on just being born here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's a great city. Sure. And um, being an artist and you know being a musician, I know you went over to Penn. Um, yeah. Before you went to Penn, was that even a thought, or was it when you went to the I think Jazz and Groove? You were a director. Yeah. It was um, at that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So actually, I was, I mean, I always played piano when I was a kid, and I was like, I had my iPod on, like, really throughout the day. Um, yeah. But I wasn't super focused on, on making music, really, until I got to college. Um, jazz and Grooves was like a, it was like an artist booking community. It sounds like it's like a jazz band, but like, we actually, like, I didn't play any instruments. <laughs> yeah, like, I was just there, like, paying artists to do shit. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so, but it was kind of like, by the time I got to Penn, I had, like, been one of those, like, kind of, like, overachiever, like, straight-A kids, like, my whole life. I uh, just really cared about, like, school and, like, extracurriculars and shit. And um, once I got to Penn, which is really, like, was, like, the end goal of, like, all that, I was like, damn, like, I don't want to do any of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, I started thinking about what I really cared about. And um, that, like, I'd always been, like, super into music and had been, like, a writer kind of kid. So I started working on my own stuff um but yeah around the same time there was this committee at penn it's like technically a part of a student government called jazz and grooves yeah. and so well there's like a bigger artist booking community that does like the big show for like the kids who don't really care about music like our show was meant to be like look we don't care who you book book the coolest artist you can think of like you don't have to sell tickets like don't worry about it like just like take this tuition money and just go crazy yeah um so my year, we had Kevin Abstract from Brockhampton, which obviously I found through KTT, too, which is funny. Yeah. Um, I, read, Daniel, I, I heard, I listened to the podcast that you're on, and you're talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we yeah. had Daniel Caesar, too, who I know was a Toronto guy. Um, and we had Yeek, who was, like, a super dope, like, kind of indie artist. Um, and so for me, like, I was a senior around that time. I was starting to take music a little more seriously. I hadn't really found my sound yet. But um, getting to watch those artists like at that stage in their careers was super interesting to me because it made it all kind of feel real. Yeah. Um, and so I took the things that I learned from watching that, putting on shows, and I came back to New York to be a high school teacher. Um, I wanted a job just so like I can. I didn't want to just like move back to my parents' basement and like start making music. Yeah. I was like, I need to prove to myself that like this shit is real. So I was working as a high school teacher, you know, seven a.m. to like three p.m. And I would just go to the studio after that. Um, after about six months, I think I started to kind of find my groove with like music that I really wanted to put out. Um, and so from there, I dropped one song in like October 2018 called Harajuku that, um, well actually through, uh, like distribution from a guy who I had also met on yeah. PTT, of course. And, <laughs> um, yeah, that song started doing really well. And um, I've been distributing my songs through them for the most part since. And that was what like, opened the door for me to have like label meetings and all that bullshit. And yeah. so from, from there until now, I've just been taking stuff a lot more seriously and really trying to like hone in on my craft and build an audience and all that yeah. good stuff. You know? How much do you think it like helped you with the first single doing so well? 
You think it was, oh, it was huge. Was that like yeah. a weight off your shoulder? Like it, the first one worked. I know. I now know this is this could work. Did that help? Yeah, a thousand percent. Um, that was like it, it's unfortunate that it took like one song getting received well by other people for me to like believe in myself, but it definitely helped. Yeah. Um, I really had no concept that anybody was ever going to hear the shit that I was making. <laughs> yeah. Up until that, so that song, and so from there on, like. It gave me a whole new perspective. I'm also really thankful that song did well because, um, and it did well early because I learned a lot about the way artists operate and the way the label system operates and all that shit just through that experience. Um, and I didn't really know shit before. So yeah. <laughs> having like that door open like really helped. Um, like I got to my first label meeting in like late 2018 and they were like, yeah, we love this song. Like, so what you got next? And yeah. I had, absolutely nothing yeah. like literally no songs made and i didn't realize that like i was supposed to have like a hundred songs made after that like yeah. that i would just like if i had played the game like the smart way um but it really taught me to like believe in myself and to um you know trust certain people around me there were i, I played it at a show like a couple months before it came out and i had a friend you know say yo that song was really good and i was like oh like you know yeah. I, I guess i just wasn't I didn't really know how to value my own stuff, and you never really know what people are gonna like. And yeah, what they're not gonna like, but um, I've come to understand. I think why people like that song so much, and I realized how much of myself I was putting into it, and that that was like the best way to create. So yeah, that song taught me a ton, honestly. Yeah, and all I know was shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. Was it harder for you to learn to be a performer opposed to you being an artist and releasing music? Which angle of being an artist do you think? It's funny, I actually think I was, like, natural on stage, like, before I was, like, a musician. Um, It's just kind of, like, a part of my personality. I actually had this job in college where I would hand out the newspaper, like, the school paper. They would pay me, like, $10 an hour or $12 an hour or whatever. And I would stand right in the middle of campus, like, in the busiest, like, little corner of campus where thousands of people would pass me every day. And I would just pass out the newspaper. My job was just to, like hopefully people would take this free paper and like keep walking to their class or whatever. Yeah. And um, I like totally pimped the job out. Like I had like a speaker, like I would um, be super aggressive with it and like funny. And I like became like a meme, you know, like people would like, like in like the Facebook group for like school, they would be like joking about like dodging the newspaper. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until I had been on stage a couple of times that I realized that it's like kind of the same thing. And that was kind of, like, the same process. It's like, I'm just, like, kind of, like, dry on stage. I'm, like, funny. Like, um, and I just kind of, like, try to be natural. And even as I was, like, before I had that song do well, I was doing some shows in New York, and I would recognize that, like, people would just kind of fuck with my energy more than they would fuck with music. Yeah. Um, so I just have to play catch up there. But, um, yeah, I love performing. It's, it's really fun. Um, I get a kick out of it. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, kind of a lousy viewers. I kind of, like, black out when I'm up there. Yeah. Just, like, kind of come back down and was like, oh, like, I hope people had fun. <laughs> and on the note with shows, uh, yeah, I usually start these interviews, I guess, since March, asking how you, how the artist has been with, you know, COVID and things like that. And I haven't, I totally yeah. remember skipping that, but with shows, go- <laughs> with shows gone and with quarantine and COVID, you know, how have you been with that? And, you know, how's your um, family and things like that? You know, for me, like, I, I love playing shows. I have um, a live band of seven people, including me, that I played it. I would be. I was playing about one show a month in New York, 
Um, and it was really fun. And everybody in my band was either someone I went to like middle and high school with or somebody I went to college with. So it was all like, you know, these people that I've known really well and we all became good homies. Like, yeah. A lot of them have their own music shit going too and like help each other out. It, it just felt really good to like build that community. Um, but to be honest, like, I was getting a little tired of playing New York shows like every month and I was starting to run out of room to like grow in that space. Like there was, I was going to have my biggest show on St. Patrick's Day at this venue called Mercury Lounge, which would have been like probably the biggest venue I've played in New York. And that was like right when lockdown started. So I missed that. Um, Obviously like for the better, but um, yeah, yeah, like from there, I really told myself like I want to sit back and figure out how to take my performance to the next level before I get back on stage. Um, obviously the universe is giving me hell of time to figure that out. So yeah. I should probably get started on it. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, I like to study. I, I would be going to shows like three, four days out of the week sometimes in New York, whether it was just like my friends performing or just anytime I see an artist I like going to, I just buy a ticket and I figure out who I'm going to go with later, if anybody. Um, so I'll be at shows like three, four days a week. A lot of it was, um, it was like a good combination of just enjoyment, networking, and like um, study. You know, like you see these artists on stage and be like, damn, I totally like understand everything that goes yeah. into it. Having like both shows, like I recognize like the importance of backline and knowing like what you can bring on tour when you're touring. And like we fucked that up really bad with some artists I really like. Yeah. Like I don't want to get into <laughs> yeah. that. Like being on that side, like in the moment as, as a student, I was like, I don't know why they're so mad, but then, like, as an artist, I was like, damn, we fucked up. (laughs) We, like, told them that we didn't have a drum set, that we had a drum set, so they, like, brought a drum set from, like, Florida, and they were like, the fuck, bro, like, there's a drum set, and we were like, oh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, but just, like, watching artists on tour, um, somebody whose show I really enjoyed in New York was Choker, Um, Choker, like, brought this, like, really fancy chair with him on tour, so he, like, didn't have a band. But he had this crazy chair that he would, like, sit in for, like, specific songs. And it was super cool. And I was like, damn, he's just probably throwing that shit in the van and just driving. Yeah. And it's, like, it's really interesting what artists do, like, within their spaces and, and how they make things possible. So I'm always studying and always trying to figure out the best way to, to make an interesting show. Yeah, for sure. I think now more than ever, I think a lot of artists have these visuals. Uh, 19, yeah. 1975 have one of my favorites. Like, the way they have their, like, the pores and visuals and that's like one of the coolest things about their shows. But yeah, it's so true. I think being an artist now is so much more than just coming out on stage and performing. I think there's so much more like theatrics going on. For sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like anything. It's like any other performance. Um, Obviously I'm always trying to work on my like live music singing game too. Cause like I started making music as a rapper. I didn't think I could sing. Um, And it's been like a slow process of like accepting my voice for what it is. Trying to make the music that I've been listening to since I was a kid and, um, really allowing myself to figure out what my voice is good at and what I can, the limits I can push it to. Um, so on stage, you know, that was like a nerve wracking thing for me for a while, but yeah. I've just been trying to grow within it. Um, and then, so then also on the performance side yeah. and the visual side too, you know, just trying to make everything this big giant yeah. thing. And I, I read that you think like people don't, um, like albums are like not really that much interest to people anymore when and now it's like yeah. singles and things like that with you you know you've released eps you've released full-length projects um throughout your career and things like that at what point did you kind of look at what's going on in the industry and and start to have that viewpoint so 
for me, like with my the one like full length project I had, I didn't think anybody was gonna listen to it. And I just love albums. So I was like, I'm gonna make an album, it's gonna be sequenced, it's gonna have like, nah, this is about to be track six, like nah, this is track six, yeah. nah, hold on, this is track five. And then like I realized like in retrospect, like maybe four or five of those songs as a new artist were like ready for people to hear. Um, and the rest of it, my friends and my mom are gonna like, and like that's it. Um, so I kind of went the hard way. Like, yeah. That um, I like, you know, it's it's a different game that you play as like a as an unsigned, um, you know, relatively unknown artist. Like you you want to put your best foot forward and present it in a super catchy way so that people will come back to it because there's so much going on right now that it's like really hard to grab someone's attention to the point where they want to engage and they want to come back. Um, so I did an EP the next year, which was cool too. Um, yeah. But I this year decided like, if I love albums so much, like I'm gonna figure out how to just do it in a creative way. So starting since May, I've been releasing a song maybe like every six weeks ish um, with a video, and so I've done five of them so far. The album that's gonna come out is those five songs along with two more. Yeah. Um, both with videos. And so, like, I just wanted to make it feel like I was doing the right thing, like, release-wise. Like, having this, like, kind of visual event behind every song. It gives every song a chance to, like, catch on with people, whether they find it on YouTube or they find it on Instagram or they find it on Spotify or they find it on KTT or they find it anywhere. Like, there's just, like, something that's going to grab them. Um, and I get that many bullets instead of just, like, two bullets and then the album. Like, I just feel like I drastically increase the number of people who find it. And the good thing about packaging it all together in the end is that when you find me in 2021, you can come fa- come back to an album, you know? Yeah, for sure. So it's like, I just saw it as like something that um, was kind of playing the best of both worlds or like Trojan horsing an album out into like the single world. Um, and also like, I have this cool way that I'm going to uh, package the whole thing together when it's out. Um, I have the whole thing coming out on VHS. I have like custom VHS boxes yeah. with like the albums. It's a visual That's album. Yeah. So um, I really wanted to just like push the way that I presented something. It's only one song longer, you know, than EP was last year for me. But um, I feel like the presentation behind it is what makes it an album versus an yeah. EP. So. And with all the videos that you released, I know there's one that makes 4049 Spruce yeah. uh, based on, you know, being at Penn and things like that. Mm-hmm. On two notes, how important is a video like that kind of going back to your roots? And two, why is it so important for you to get these videos, like all of them? Cause like you said, you've done it, like a video for each song. When did that yeah. become like an important thing for you to want to do? I think I was like conceptualizing it um, probably late 2019, early 2020. I was just really thinking about like how can I increase my visual um, presentation um, because I was getting tired of just playing like the – I have one song do really well on Spotify, right? And it's like, you just like, your whole marketing plan can't be like, I'm going to release a song and like, I hope it does well on Spotify. Like, that's yeah. a shitty marketing plan. So I was like, what can I do? It's like more creative than that. And um, so my strategy was to try to like increase my visual uh, pre- like representation. It turns out that there's this kid, Adam Ginsberg, who I went to college with, but I didn't really know in college. Um, who I met through my keyboardist, who also went to Penn with me, Andrew Ellis, another super dope musician. Yeah. And um, he ends up, he shot the 4049 video, the telescope video, the runner's high video, the 46 and Bliss video, which is not on the album, but also this year. And um, one of the ones that's going to come out 
this month. And um, so having somebody there to like kind of help refine the visual stuff has been like super helpful. Um, the 4049 song means a lot to me just because like, uh, I mean, it, it sucks that we couldn't shoot it at like actually 4049 screws. Yeah. But um, so what happened was, I, that's the house I lived in my senior year in college. And I, I remember I moved in like the minute that like Blonde came out. Like it came out at like noon on like a Saturday or something. Yeah. And I had like just driven all my stuff into like, and I was like parking in front of the house. And like I checked like my phone and they're like, yo, Blonde is out. Right. Like, yeah. You gotta be kidding me. So I like run into my apartment like unfurnished apartment and like just like get on the wi-fi and like start yeah. downloading that shit you know um so that, that house always meant a lot to me um and i came back to play a show in philly like right it was like 2019 ish so i graduated i had music out that was like starting to do well um and it was a really big homecoming moment for me and i walked past that house and i saw that there was like a demolition notice for it so that was what inspired the song so the first verse is like me falling in love inside the house and the second verse is like acknowledging that like that house along with most things in the world eventually are just going to be like dust in like the least depressing way possible but, yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's all getting a lot to me so i'm glad that um it made the album sure um now in terms of like you know going on to next year and things like that i know um you have songs already ready for the following year when it comes to releasing music and things like that do you let yourself I guess enjoy the music or enjoy the moment and congratulate yourself on like, hey, I, I made a project or I made a song. Or are you the type of person that's like, all right, I dropped that, time to go on the next thing? It's a little bit of both. I think I enjoy the music a lot before it's out. Now I get really tired of it <laughs> by the time it's out. Yeah. Like I never, I very rarely if ever listen to my own music on Spotify. Um, it's like partially because I don't want to show up in my own Spotify raps when it comes out because I don't yeah. want to see other artists do that. I'm like, damn, bro. <laughs> I don't judge it because I get it. Um, that happened to me in 2018. I left one of my first songs like on loop because I thought that was like a beneficial thing to do. Yeah. And then it just fucked up my Spotify rap and like it didn't really make me any money or like give me any clout. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I, most of the songs on this album were made like in late 2019 i'd say about half of it um into like early 2020-ish so they're all almost a year old at this point with the exception of um two of the ones that i made during quarantine but um yeah like for the most part like i i sit on music for a while uh because i want to make sure i enjoy it you know six months later because at the end of the day like when you put it out like it's gonna exist forever and i used to have this idea that like you know, not releasing good music was like wasting resources and stuff. But I think it's important to think about the whole presentation you put behind something. It's crazy when you realize how much music artists should sit on. Yeah. You know, like I used to think like, damn, I made a good song. I should just let people hear it. But it's like, you got to build everything around it. It's not just um, having the music. And you never know when that stuff will come out eventually. But so I try to just sit on stuff, um, decide like, you know, is, am I still fucking with this? Like, can I make this be presented in a cool way? Um, really think about that, you know, like I had Runner's High for like six weeks and I was listening to it and I was like, no, nah, this, this is fire. Like I want to release it. Yeah. And then one day I was like, I need to get chased by a samurai in the woods and that song will make perfect sense, yeah. you know? And it's like, if I had just put it out right after, like I wouldn't have come up with that. Um, so letting myself like <laughs> sit down and like enjoy something, I think it's, it's always been a really helpful part of the process for me. Um, like with music in general, like you want to make sure that it's going to live longer than 
you know, than the average song you just job. Yeah. Um, I would say. And the crazy thing, too, is you never really know what's going to happen when something never. gets released. You know, a, <laughs> a song a song that you think people might not gravitate towards might be the song that everyone gravitates towards. Facts. So, you know. Big it's, fucking facts. <laughs> but I do, I do think it's interesting that, like, you could, an album could be released, like, today. But mm-hmm. most of those songs could have been reworked for the past two years, but we wouldn't know, like, as a fan. So People have no idea. Actually, the funniest shit is uh, the next song that I'm dropping, which is called Guido Miss Karma. Um, I have the earliest of early demos of this hook from like my bedroom in 4049 Spruce in like 2017 on like the most garbage beat that I produced. Like just the idea, like the vocal idea for the chorus, like I was doing it back then. Yeah. And it's so bad, but it's really funny that it ended up being like one of my favorite songs of the album. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just sitting during quarantine, like making a totally different beat. And I was like, wait a second. And I just started doing the shit from before. And I was like, nah, this is kind of hard, you know? Um, so people who hear that song will have absolutely no idea that that's existed for like almost three, four years at this point. Um, yeah, it's really funny how that shit works. Like there's so much that goes into it that people will never know. People will never know how many hands touch the project, how many like um, different cover arts you had before you picked the final one. Like we'll never know what the weather was outside when you made it or any of that shit. Um, so it's really interesting. It's, it's important to always think from the listener's perspective before you release something. Cause um, there can be a huge disconnect between you as the creator and the listener in terms of how they interpret something. Yeah. Um, that's why it's important to have people you really trust around you as like music listeners. Like, or even, you can even like segment it as an artist. Like you can be like, yo, my homie really knows rap. So if I'm rapping on a track, he's going to know if this shit is hard or not. But I'm not going to send him like my most like indie pop song and like expect him to give me like super quality feedback. He's just going to be like, yeah, this shit sounds hard. I don't really know shit like this, but it's hard, you know? Yeah. Um, but then you have the homie who really listens to that shit that you send it to, who's then like, nah, you can do this better. And then, you know, you like kind of reset from there. Um, so it's really important to know, have like just trustworthy people around you who keep it a buck with you. Um, you can have yes men. Yes men are also fire because they give you bad confidence. Just like don't, <laughs> yeah. don't put that into the world. After. <laughs> like there's people who I love who I send my music and they're like, and no matter what I send them, we'll be like, yeah. this is fire. And, like, even I don't think it's fire. But, like, if you think it's fire, it just makes me feel good. So yeah. I'm going to send it to you. And, some, and sometimes it's not even that they're like, yes, man. They just They just, they want, just they yeah. like you as a person. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to like the shit you make, you know? Yeah. And that's fine. That's great. Like, you should use that. It's going to, like, boost your confidence, which is honestly, like, 75% of the battle as an artist is just, like, remaining confident and believing in yourself. So if that's what it takes, like, you should definitely do that. But just, like, don't confuse that with, like, you know, real feedback yeah I guess um, <laughs> yeah I mean usually when I get to the end of my interviews uh, I'll like ask an artist you know like what do you have uh, following up you know like a tour or all these shows or things like that but with COVID that's, <laughs> that's gone so what I've been doing what I've been doing is uh, like on the fly like during these interviews I'll think about a question that relates the best with the artist so for you in particular you know going to Penn and and you know, doing going to school and being a high school teacher. How important for you, I guess, was the educational side before you became an artist? You know, there's um, there's a couple really interesting parallels between um, education and music that I always found interesting, especially because I played 
so many roles. You know, I've been a student. I've been, I've been in the Ivy League thing. I've been a teacher at the same time. Like yeah. I taught like in the Bronx with kids who like, you know, some of them their reading levels were like five grades below like the level they were supposed to be, um, just because of how fucked up like our education system is. Um, and so like I've really seen a bunch of different sides of the education world and like being on stage and being in front of a classroom of like 35 like 17 year olds who stayed up until 4 a.m watching 13 reasons why last night and were on snapchat with each other the entire time or yeah. just like falling asleep on each other is like pretty it's like the worst crowd ever every day you know it's like how every artist like will sometimes be like oh i just like had like the absolute worst crowd at the show and like it's like an outlier like, that's, like, every day as a high school teacher is, like, getting up and, like, trying to perform to a bunch of people who don't want to hear you. Yeah. Um, and it's not because, like, they're not good students or anything. It's, like, just, like, when you're in high school, like, there's so much other shit going on in your life. You don't care about, like, the, you know, the Bill of Rights. Like, it's, like, come on, bro. Yeah. I don't give a fuck about this. Like, <laughs> I want to do something else. So it's, like, really trying to convince people to, to listen to something or to like something or to, to hear an idea out. And it, um, it parallels a lot to being on stage, I think. And I learned a lot about being on stage um, from being a teacher and vice versa, I think. And um, so that was definitely a big thing for me. I think being in, like, the whole Ivy League, like, overachiever student pipeline also taught me, like, that a lot of kids in America grow up, like, just doing something because they think they're supposed to. And then um, they get somewhere and they just think they're supposed to do this or they think they're supposed to go be a consultant or a lawyer or whatever just because, like, they have the opportunity to. And it's like, that's fire also. Like, get the bag. Like, that's what you want to do. But it's like, you might be better served in society, like, doing something where you're really passionate about it because you're going to bring innovation and bring ideas and, like, be more than, like, just a piece in, like, something, you know? Um, So it took me being there and, like, standing at the door of that to be like, oh, maybe I should, like, yeah. pursue these other things, you know? Like, I was just, like, shit posting on KGT, like, in these classes. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, maybe I should just do something. Like, you know, <laughs> Me this too. is, like, more fun. Me too. You know, like, this is where I'm spending all my energy. So, like, maybe that's saying something about, like, what I really want to be doing with my life. Um, and, and I was also inspired by so many dope other artists that I've seen on KGT from, like, Blackstar Kids to, um, like, Chris Hugh, Skywater. There's, like, so many dope people who have come up through there. Um, just that I know personally. And then a ton of people who were, like, before me. Like, Toby Lou and, like, Kevin Abstract and shit. Yeah. Um, so having that, like, kind of, like, portal on the internet that, like, took me somewhere else was, like, really helpful for pushing me to, like, kind of pursue my shit. Um, education is, like, kind of the craziest, most important thing in the world that nobody who's in power really thinks about. So it's kind of unfortunate. Um, I don't really know. Like, I'm only speaking from Amer- an American perspective, but I'm sure in Canada you guys have some similar problems too. Yeah, sure. Um, with uh, politicians not respecting it to the level that they should. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's just been such like an eye-opening experience for me, um, really making me think about like how I can use my platform for better. Um, I tried to raise money for Black Girls Code this year. We raised like two thousand bucks. Just like from the Haji Gaviota platform, which I'm really proud about. Yeah. Um, and so, just like, you know, trying to always stay involved in that shit, never get too big of a head or anything, and just like, you know, making sure that I'm making it like a, putting a stamp on the world in a positive way, whether it's just with music or just uh, with things that I can do with the platform that music gives me. Like, I always want to be creative about how I do it. Sure, man. Uh, again, man, um, really glad I found you on KTT. 
I think <laughs> I think your music is really amazing, man. I know uh, it, man. there's only two new songs coming with this album, but I can't wait till it's out. Um, and yeah, for sure, man. Definitely, we'll continue to do these interviews and things like that. Looking forward, Absolutely, man. looking forward to the next one. And really appreciate you having me on. Sure, man. Enjoy the rest of the day, man. Later. You too, man. Peace.